Welcome back to Ramdas Here and Now. I'm Raghu Marcus, and today I have a talk that Ramdas gave, interestingly enough, in 1996 in August, which was not long before he had uh, that very uh, devastating stroke, which, of course, he's come out of um, incredibly. Uh, to continue teaching over many years since then, 15, 16 years, something like that. And as uh, as you all know, he's doing just fine, living on Maui and doing retreats and continuing to teach. Um, but this lecture was, uh, it's called Invite Not the Future. And again, it's... Uh, it's something that's come out of our uh, media library, which we've been digitizing, uh, working on diligently digitizing all of this 45 years of media, audio and video. And uh, I just happened to f uh, find this. I thought, well, that's an interesting thing. Invite not the future. I had no idea what he was uh, talking about. And, um, and what he is talking about is uh, around... Uh, anticipating future suffering and how you can turn that into something that enriches the present moment. And, you know, for many of us who are listening, not me, because I'm already anticipating a shorter span of life left, so... Uh, but for many of us who are listening, um, you know, this isn't something that... Uh, is too present in our lives. I mean, you know, if you're 20, 30, 40, even just going on 50, it's not something you're going to be thinking about. But uh, that's why I love this talk, because it really gives uh, suggestions as to uh, why it might be important to, to really encounter uh, the, the potential, which most of us will go through, illness, old age, Suffering is endemic to our existence on Earth. So uh, it's, it's a great talk. But before I get into it, and before I forget, because we really um, appreciate everybody who supports what we're doing here through Ramdas.org and Love, Serve, Remember Foundation, um, I do want to let everybody know that there's a great... Um, uh, we're having a retreat coming up in April in... Uh, in Maui with Ramdas and Sharon Salzberg and Jai Utah. And we're going to stream um, from there uh, uh, th these talks and Dharma talks and so on. And um, you can go up to ramdas.org and take a look at how you can join and uh, uh, take part. And that date will be uh, 11 12th and 13th of April. And it's free. Of course, you know, we always ask everybody to support us being able to continue to do this so that more people can share, um, which is what Ramdas has been all about all these years. Um, and uh, at, the s at the same time, just to promote a couple of other things, the new Cultivating movie was put out about 10 days ago, Cultivating Intuitive Faith and True Surrender, and it features Ram Dass and Sharon, 
and uh, Krishna Das, and uh, I tell a little story in there myself. And but the star of the show is K.K. Shah, Ramdas's, uh, f- the first translator, Indian brother, K.K. Shah, when he first met Maharaji, and he really um, starts a great dialogue about what, especially around what surrender really is. So. That's a great thing. Go to ramdas.org and you can navigate over to that. And that's also streams for free. And don't forget Grist for the Mill, which just got re-released a couple of weeks ago. Well, that's probably a month ago now. And uh, a great book with a wonderful uh, new uh, uh, shot of Ramdas. Well, it's an old shot of Ramdas in a new uh, jacket design. I think you'll like it. And, And then... Continuing, all of these offerings is still here. Uh, a book Ramdas put out about aging, which is so this directly connects with Invite Not the Future, this talk, uh, but it's now available as an ebook. So, those of you who don't want to have a lot of uh, physical objects lying around and just want it all on your Kindle or iBook uh, or uh, iPad and go to the iBook store or to Kindle and, and pick it up. So now to this talk, Um, let me just uh, say that I, um, again, as I, as I mentioned before, I, you know, I don't, I, I remember not thinking much about anything like this, uh, until very recently, uh, as my parents started to age and last year they both passed and I, I had to, and over the last number of years, you know, they were going through old age and sickness, and uh, it wasn't too bad compared to, you know, many, many stories that you might hear. My parents had rel- relatively uh, easy passings, and uh, and declining years uh, weren't that bad. But they, they cert- this all certainly put it all square in front of me and uh, and I think I did a pod- and I think I know I did a podcast after my father left and talked about because Ramdas had mentioned in one of his talks about how uh, being with dying people is being on the edge of awakening and I had had uh, that experience with my father so so all of this did come up but I truly do remember not paying a lot of attention uh, you know for a long time and and as I look back and as I hear him talk here. Uh, I see that the valuable uh, lessons of of contemplating this stuff, um, even when you're pretty far away from, well, we're all any moment away from anything because we have no idea. But uh, so uh, here's something. If he says, for those of us that are going to want to approach su- uh, future suffering with some degree of equanimity and some degree of mindfulness, and some degree of open-heartedness, the earlier we start, the better. And the more we come into the presence of these phenomena so that we can work with them, even though they are not ours yet, the more we will have eaten what we have to eat and digested our reactivity to it and be able to keep our heart open the more we will have eaten what we have to eat and digested our reactivity to it. So true. The m- and the more we'll be able to keep our heart open. Um, and 
one of the you know uh, valuable uh, comparisons he he uses here and it is is psychedelics and altered states and uh, I think all of us who have done uh, psychedelics particularly either psilocybin or LSD um, where you experience a death of sorts depending on how potent it, it is and hopefully you have a you know we suggest as uh, Ram Dass and and Leary did uh, a long time ago that this is done in with a guide and in a quiet place and so on and, and done for spiritual reasons um, you you do experience what it is that you would experience as you as you pass and in the you know as you as as you would die there is you know it's it's the uh it's not so much the body dying it's the psychological death so ramda says i value these altered states of consciousness so much and i value that fact that i believe the mystery of death is a non-conceptual moment and that dying is like a maha big acid trip it's a trip in which the structures start to break down and break down and you are more here than you ever were because the boundaries between you and others are dissolving and you are the other but you are holding on to a model of yourself as a time-space entity. How true is that? And that is exactly what you deal with when you guide someone through an acid trip. The breaking down of your consciousness, the thing that is frightening is the psychological death, like I just said. So, the more you practice, the more you are comfortable with that process of transformation. So, yeah, it's easy to say all this stuff, you know, when you're in the midst of creating a life, a family, and so on. And it's not, it's, this isn't something to, to dwell on in any kind of morbid way. But certainly the idea and, and practices that, that one does, you know, meditation, chanting, uh, wh- whatever it might be that suits one, uh, the practice of engaging in that transformation which happens, you know, on a moment-to-moment, more minute level, all adds up when we are approaching this for ourselves. And certainly when we, we live through it with either dear ones and close ones or our parents. Um, and I remember when I told Ramdas about my experience with my father passing at the end, he just said, that is such a great thing. You were able to do that with with him and actually both my parents being there, um, the everybody should be part of that process. Uh, and, uh, and now, of course, I know that to be such an important uh, aspect of my life. So this is a great talk um, you know, from him. Uh, invite not the future, uh, so, uh, which is an, uh, an interesting title for this as well. Uh, so, uh, just at this uh, juncture, I, I want to thank everybody again. I just rattled off a whole bunch of things that we're doing at the beginning of the of the, my introduction here. 
uh, I just thank everybody. We do get a lot of great support, and, and you know, we need you to continue, too. So uh, take a look at that uh, Sharon Ramdas thing that's going to come up, uh, retreat. Uh, it'll be an online retreat, you know, from the live retreat in Maui, and I think you would enjoy that. So all love to everybody, and here, Ramdas, here and now. I've been visiting a family. The man is in his mid-50s. He has a a brain tumor they operated on, but it was too deep. It was inoperable, so it's growing. And uh, he was a brilliant, successful, world kind of successful player on the stage of life. And he lost his speech facility in the surgery. So that, interestingly enough, he can only say one word, which is the word yes, which is quite extraordinary. So he is in a wheelchair, he's, his body's falling apart, he's uh, pretty much paralyzed. His mind seems to be pretty clear most of the time, and all he can say is yes. Yes, 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 yes. The only word left. So we started dealing with this situation, and uh, I was called in by he and his wife. And this had been going on for eight months now. At some point along in the interview, I said to him, do you want to die? And he said, yes, 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 yes. See, nobody asked him that. There was no way he could say that. And I said, do you want to die now? And he said, yes, but it was not the same, yes, 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 yes. That was a while back. So then, more recently, it was not only yes, 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 but do you want to die now? Yes, 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 yes. Now, the family is a very liberal family in which people have a right to their own individual choices about what to do with their own consciousness and their lives. But the predicament is that he was part of a family. And then the question comes, and they weren't ready for him to die. I mean, he was going to die naturally anyway, but they weren't ready for him to die. But he had been so successful in his world that to stop all that, he couldn't now be this new person who could only say yes and sitting in this chair. In other words, he'd rather die than give up his model. I mean, it's like the captain going down with a sinking ship. To hold on to the myth that captains go down with a sinking ship, he would get down. And so what his family recognize what this this was his willfulness that wanted to die and they wanted to honor this and at the same moment emotionally they felt starved and hungry and that it hadn't finished yet can you hear the issue so finally it was agreed that he wait a month because the daughter was going on a trip and she wanted, I mean, this was bizarre in one way, you know, that here's a person deciding whether he'll die. And she says, well, I made my plans a long time ago to go on this trip. And I'd really wait, appreciate it if you'd wait till I got back. And I'd like you to promise me you'll wait till you get back. This was a very interesting dynamic to deal with about what is one's commitment to a family and what, how much can you make unilateral decisions, you know? Is it um, the individual overall, or is, it, is the web and the extended family part of where collective decision-making comes from? You know, it's a very interesting issue. 
and we all struggled with it together. And he decided to wait the month. And in the next conversation, I, I talked to him and I said, is it possible? I said to him, when he decided to wait the month, I said, now, could I suggest there are two ways you could look at this month is waiting for the month to be over or you could live life for the month, you know, and see what's in it now with just who you are, you know, kind of get some quality out of it, you know. And I don't think he was prepared to do that. And I think it's really hard to see somebody choosing to end their life for an ego reason that feels like they could do more or that they could. And then the question, of course, is, is there any reason one ends his life other than an ego reason? I think that's an interesting question. See, I mean, when the lamas send out postcards saying, I'm leaving my body next Thursday and you come for tea, and you come for tea and they turn around three times, sit down and leave their body, is that suicide? Is it, you know, what is it? What, how do you, would you hear that one? And what I love about that conference that weekend was it's right in the middle of the culture having this incredible time about the ethics of longevity of life and death. It's the time of Dr. Kevorkian. It's the time of insurance issues. It's the time of new longevity research. It's the time of economic collapse of the social security and medicare systems it's it's an incredibly interesting moment for this dance and part of the fear of future suffering has to do with the collapse of the social structures that you have counted on or that you had subconsciously counted on something went on and what of course interests me is where can I stand in relation to all of this future possible suffering in a way that it is not debilitating and it does not cloud my consciousness and it doesn't catch my energy and it doesn't detract from this moment. And in fact, it enriches this moment because it's part of this moment. And that's the interesting thing, whether you can take anticipated future suffering and turn it into something that enriches the present moment. One of the things I've been thinking about, which I, I think I will probably wait until next visit to talk about, in opening up the whole period of aging and looking at social roles within aging, trying to find social roles that are harmonious with the deeper agenda of aging, not just make work. But it may well be that service to the sick and dying becomes the optimum role for older people. Because that's the closest thing I can do to becoming as conscious as I can be. And therefore, it, I mean, I am meeting more and more people now who say, I want to thank you for your aging and dying tapes and I want you to know I work with the dying or I work with my mother who's dying and I just want to thank you because we're, I'm looking at it so differently now and it's so wonderful. It was interesting. I was down in Brazil a few weeks ago, this conference, 
There was one comment I made in my lecture, which I made just in passing because it wasn't really that right audience to say it, but it just came out. I said, it's interesting when you stop just doing narrow practices and realize that your karma is your dharma. And that line went into the consciousness of that group and flipped the way they saw their lives. And I would say two dozen people came up to me in the next few days and said, you know that line, my karma is my dharma. It's been sitting with me and it's been changing the way I, you know. And what I see now is that for those of us that are going to want to approach future suffering with some degree of equanimity and some degree of mindfulness and some degree of open-heartedness. The earlier we start, the better. And the more we come into the presence of these phenomena so that we can work with them, even though they're not ours yet, the more we will have eaten what we have to eat, uh, digested our reactivity to it, and be able to keep our, keep our heart open in hell. Because I was thinking about older people and younger people, because the usual myth in the culture is, well, older people are the elders and they should teach the young, but the young don't want to know what the old know, because the old don't know the latest thing that you can only get with, you know, so many mega gigs. Or <laughs> gigabytes, gigabytes, gigabytes. God, I just moved into the world of gigabytes. Can't believe it. I feel like I'm from outer space. <laughs> so that intergenerational business, I think it's nice and I certainly want to encourage it, but I don't think it fits in a non-traditional society too easily. The idea that young people are just going to respect old people because they're old, that goes so counter to our culture, which respects youth and not age, that I mean, why, why ask for trouble, you know? But old people think you're older people, or old people think you're of each other. That seems very tasty to me. I mean, that's like a, that's like a 12-stepper. It's like a, a self-help program, you know? It's great. I think it, it's absolutely wonderful. <laughs> uh, and you get another old person, you can practice being dependent, you know? How abhorrent you can depend on each other, that would be fun. There are all kinds of wonderful games you can play. See, I know I'm on the edge of being able to turn aging into something really incredibly interesting. But in order to do that, we have to extricate ourselves from the cultural stuff that is so thick in our habit structures and the way our minds work. It is a real stinker to extricate yourself clearly enough to see how you've been had. It's just so deep in all of us. And because I value these altered states of consciousness so much, and I value the fact that I believe the mystery of death is a non-conceptual moment, and that dying is a little bit like a maha acid trip. It's a trip in which the structures start to break down and break down and break down and you're more here than you ever were because the boundaries between you and other are dissolving and you are other as well as here. But you're holding on to a model of yourself as a time-space entity 
And that is exactly what you deal with when you guide somebody through an acid trip. The breaking down of their consciousness. And that's what the whole idea was of psychological death before physical death. Because the thing that is frightening is the psychological death. It's interesting. It really is interesting. And when you've separated those out and you've practiced with psychological death, and that's why the practices that get you to play with the edge, whether it's through devotion where you sing yourself into or pray yourself into non-separateness or that kind of melting of boundary through love. You love your way into the universe. Or you mind your way in by yana yoga, by using the mind to beat the mind, by like a koan that forces you beyond your thinking mind or something like that. Whatever those techniques are, the more you practice them, the more you are comfortable with that process of transformation. Tim, about 10 years ago, said an interesting thing. Somebody was asking him about his psychedelic journey. He says, I die so hard each time. And it's interesting because I think he didn't die hard. He didn't really die hard. <laughs> he was a diehard, but not dying hard. What I'm saying is that when you're 50 or 60 or 70 now in this culture, you are dealing with a future that has a high likelihood that it will face you with things which because of your either past memories or past experience, you suspect may be so thick that they'll catch you. Like being caught in boredom, being caught in chronic illness or pain, continuous pain, being caught in the fear of dying, being caught in the fear of dependency, being caught in dependency, being caught in living alone when you want to live with others or living with others when you wish you were living alone, or somehow caught and that you won't have control loss of control. These fears control people's lives as they get beyond the middle of them and start to move in. And how we deal with them pr primarily is through denial. We don't think about them. We don't want to think about them. We keep ourselves distant from them. We even distance ourselves from aging people in the culture by, for their own good, setting up places for them there instead of here. You know, I mean, it's all fascinating to watch that whole thing. So the thing is, the business of what does it mean to fold the future into the present so you're fully in the present is to open to and embrace these and acknowledge this, that yes, this is possible and, it, and actually vicariously run it through if you can until you can be fully present with it instead of try to be present in spite of it. This podcast is brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org. We appreciate you listening and we appreciate all the support that you've given us. Please continue that support and donate at Ramdas.org. We can then continue to share what Ramdas has been sharing for all of these years. Thank you.